Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber Carroll. I am one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd like to say welcome. Glad you are here today. Uh, when I was a little girl, I lived in Satellite Beach, Florida with my mom and my dad. My dad was part of the Air Force, and we lived on base housing. My dad was gone a lot. He traveled a lot, and my parents divorced when I was seven. So my memories of my childhood, um, I don't have a lot of them, and, uh, but I do have a memory that I will never forget, and I was an only child at that time. I've since had more brothers and um, sisters introduced into my life. But at that point, I was an only child. And I remember sitting at the table. I don't remember doing family dinners very often, but I remember this particular dinner, my mom apparently had worked really hard and put this meal in front of us on the table. And I, in my four-year-old little self, looked, you know, lovingly at the plate and wrinkled my nose which I learned very quickly that that was an inappropriate response to the meal in front of me, to which my father, in his uh, favorite method of uh, correcting my behavior, uh, showed me the leather belt, and I had a whooping of a lifetime that forever modified my behavior. In fact, um, it modified my behavior in such a way that I learned, not only do you not disrespect your parents by wrinkling your nose, but if you choose to do so, pad your pants before you do it, right? But we are, as humans, constantly modifying, monitoring and modifying our behavior. You know, when you start a new job, you learn this is what we do, this is what we don't do. In middle school, you learn through social circles what is appropriate or inappropriate. High school, um, if you go into a fraternity or a sorority, you learn what you say, what you don't say. And uh, when you get married, um, you enter into another family and you learn very quickly what is appropriate when making cookies for Thanksgiving. Um, We learn all of that. We learn how to modify and monitor our behavior. And uh, But every once in a while, something will happen from out of nowhere, and I don't know where it comes from, but you'll like say something or do something really dumb, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know where that came from. Why did that? Oh, that's not me. And what you're saying is like, that's not who I am, or why would I respond like that? And so what, what we're going to talk about today is where that comes from, that stuff comes from, where we don't know where it comes from. We're going to talk about that today. We're in part part five of a message series we've entitled Guardrails, and if you haven't been with us, I'm going to catch you up really briefly, but if you've been with us, also a quick review, that a guardrail is a system designed from keeping vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas on the road. Guardrails are never placed inside the danger zone. They're placed inside the safety zone as a way to minimize damage to the vehicle so that it would, um, the damage would be worse if it, weren't, if it weren't there. Guardrails are designed primarily to direct us and to protect us. And that as we've thought through this series, um, the highway is not the only place we need guardrails, right? We've talked about um, we need financial guardrails, moral guardrails, relationship guardrails, marriage guardrails. Some of us, based on our past experiences as as kids, um, we might need some parent guardrails so we don't repeat some of the uh, behaviors that we experienced as kids. Um, But specifically, when we talk about guardrails in this context, we're talking about guardrails as a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. A personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It says that I've decided for me personally that these behaviors are um, 
this conscience, I, I, they're going to protect me from going off into a direction to drifting into bad or dangerous places. And not when I'm in the danger zone, right? These guardrails are supposed to ding my conscience, light up my conscience before I end up in the danger zone, before I hurt myself or before myself. <laughs> I don't have two of me. Um, <laughs> sometimes. Um, but uh, also before uh, we hurt those who we love or we care about. So today I want to talk about what I think is the most important thing as we talk about guardrails, and that is how we guard our heart how we guard our heart. King Solomon, we've talked about him throughout this series, was the wisest man to have ever lived. He wrote the Song of Psalms. He wrote wrote the Proverbs, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. He wrote about a whole bunch of things. And in the book of Proverbs, he said, but above all else, about everything that I wrote, I'm the most wise person ever. Above all else, guard your heart. And why is that such a big deal? And he says, because Everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. And so what if that's true? What if he was actually right when he said that? What if everything we do originates from within our heart? And if that's the case, learning to guard that, that which is inside us to protect what is on the outside should become really important to us. So then one day, about a thousand years later after King Solomon wrote that, Jesus was walking along with his disciples, and he was doing his disciple Jesus thing. My scarf just got stuck on my earring. How about that? Um, So, okay. Um, So he's walking along. They're doing their thing. They're teaching. He's preaching. They're healing. They're going along. And everywhere Jesus went, there was always a crowd of people right? There's this crowd of people because they want to learn this guy's amazing. But there was also outside of the crowd, on the outside, there were Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes and priests. And their goal was to trick Jesus. Their whole point was to try to trick Jesus and to drive a wedge between what Jesus was doing and what he was teaching to these crowds so that they could get him on the outside and arrest him. But they weren't allowed inside because they, they were, um, the, the crowd was just so into what Jesus was doing. But every once in a while, they would sneak their way into the front, and they would try to give Jesus a trick question. And so one of these days, they're coming up, they get to the front of the crowd, and uh, they say, Jesus, we have a question for you. All right, so this is in Matthew. He says, they say, um, why do your disciples, you know, the, those folks that are traveling around with you, why do they break the tradition of the elders? They, uh, they don't wash their hands before they eat. And so we might think, well, Jesus, didn't, they, didn't you, mom teach you to wash your hands before you eat? I think they had a different idea about germs and about food. Um, but here's what they're referring to and what, what they knew we, we're not as familiar with. Um, in the Old Testament law, the high priest and the priest, anybody who was going to do sacred work in the temple, um, had to do certain ceremonial washings um, to make sure that they were always ready to do God's work. So that you didn't, you didn't want to touch anything unclean because you might defile your hands and therefore mess up your relationship with God. So it was the law that the religious leaders had to wash their hands and then what they did, the religious leaders took this law and turned it into um, a tradition that everybody should follow the same kind of rules that were for the priest. And so they, they imposed this law and made it a tradition, but then it kind of turned into like 
an expectation and a requirement. So they, they come to Jesus and they're like, why don't your disciples, they, they break the tradition, like they're breaking the law. And Jesus um, knows that this is not actually a law. He wasn't breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Um, it wasn't a, he, he's thinking, you know, they made this up. This isn't, this isn't really going on. And I think he maybe chuckled to himself and he's like, all right, so let me ask you a question. And he says, it says, um, why do you actually break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So you can't get Jesus. You can't get Jesus. He says, you're accusing me of breaking a tradition that's not even a command of God. You actually break a command of God in order to protect one of your man-made traditions. So an example of this, um, and I can illustrate it this way. Imagine that um, a father has a teenage daughter, right? And uh, he says to the daughter, do not speak disrespectfully to your mother. And the daughter says, oh, okay, well, I'm in this guardrail series, and so I think I'm going to set up a guardrail to make sure that I don't speak disrespectfully to my mom, right? And dad's going, oh, good, okay, what is it? She says, I'm not going to speak to her at all. And dad says, but wait a second, that's actually disrespectful in doing that. But you set up a rule to keep you from breaking the rule. So again, it just, it doesn't work that way, right? And this is what they've done. This is what they did. They'd, they'd come up with the rule, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, um, because they didn't want to keep the law, so they came up with the rule that made them feel like they were keeping the law. Get it? Okay. So, so Jesus tells them exactly what he's talking about. He says, for God said, and then he named one of the top ten He says, honor your father and your mother, which they all knew that law. And he said, but you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and their mother with it. Now, his audience then knew exactly what he's talking about. We might not know what he's talking about. But the leaders had come up with a tradition that allowed them to violate the law to honor your father and your mother. And here's what the tradition was. They had this rule that you could like verbally dictate and dedicate everything you had to the temple. So a moderately wealthy person, a really wealthy person could just say, I I dedicate all of my belongings to the temple, but you were allowed to use all of your things for your immediate family right? So they could be as generous with their immediate family, but if other people would come in and ask them for help or support, um, like a parent, they could say, oh, I'm sorry, mom and dad, already gave it all to the temple. This is, you know, God's work, right? Now imagine what it would have been like in ancient times to be an aging parent and not have access to your kids, to have help. So I was thinking, uh, for, so for us, imagine like, so think about how quickly your eyesight goes. Just, like, I went to the eye doctor this week, and my eyes are getting worse and worse. Some people have, do you have, raise your hand if you have really bad eyesight. Anyone have really bad eyesight? I know, like, um, John doesn't even really need, he's starting to need readers. His arms are getting a little longer. But I think about, like, how, like, how quickly some of our eyesight goes. And imagine being at a time where there were no contacts or correct, you know, any uh, corrective lenses, and you had to rely on your family to help you. I mean, if I was left to, like, hunt and gather and pick berries and, I don't know, I think, I think of that scene in Adventures in Babysitting um, where she loses her glasses and she's petting the cat, but it's a sewer rat. I just have this vision of, like, what would I do without my glasses? But what would I, like, that's just, I, your eyesight is just one example of, of like, what else fails 
adults as we get older and we rely on our family. Um, and so anyway, they were using this, this commandment was to honor your father and your mother. And they had this, they made up these other rules to, um, in order to break that commandment. And so Jesus um, is having none of that, because this is Jesus, he's so great. And he says this, he says, thus you nullify the word of God for your stupid, well, he doesn't say stupid, I said stupid, Um, for your stupid tradition, you hypocrites. And whenever Jesus said you hypocrites, that was like the conversation's over, you know, drop the mic and move on. And so that's what, that's what happened. They, um, the people in the crowd, I'm sure they're like, whoa. Jesus, go get him, you know. And um, the religious leaders are probably slinking off, like, whose stupid idea was that? You know, he always gets us, you know. But um, so he turns to the crowd after that he kind of lays it down with the, the leaders, and he turns to the crowd and he says, I want to make sure you understand. So he says, Listen and understand. And they're leaning in, and he says, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Because the issue here that we talked about before, what they were questioning him with the disciples, they said, why do they not wash their hands, right? So they're talking about food and the eating rituals. And he said, not what goes into someone's mouth that defiles them. And when we talk about defiling them, we're talking about their relationship with God. So it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And here's what we need to remember when we read the Gospels. Jesus was the hinge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Jesus uh, came to unleash something completely new. This was all new for them. And he was born, we need to remember, Jesus was also born under the law. He was a law-abiding Jew, so he understood the law. But he was introducing something totally new that was totally going to supersede the law. It was kind of like the iPhone 4 when you got it, it was like a really cool phone, but then now like the iPhone 10 and 110 is out and like um, it's obsolete. But there was nothing wrong with the law, but he was going to introduce something just better. And throughout his ministry, what was so important is Jesus would drop kind of these breadcrumbs to let people know something better was coming. And the law of ancient, in uh, ancient time of Moses, God's con tract with Israel was all about staying clean, and it was about uh, rules and the vertical, like keeping God happy. And Jesus said, that day's coming to an end. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's about keeping, it's the vertical, yes, but it's also the horizontal, and it's other people. And he says, what you put in your mouth is no longer what's going to defile you, but what comes out of your mouth, that defiles you. And they're thinking, wait a second, my words are what defiles me, not just my words to people, not just to God. And, and, uh, and so this is, new, this, is, this is new territory. So um, the big crowd leaves, and so now it's just his disciples. And Peter comes up to him, and if you know Peter at all, Peter, he's like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, I totally get what you were saying because, you know, I'm Peter. But the other disciples are having a hard time. Can you tell us a little bit more about this whole, like, eating thing, you know, maybe we just like, maybe they're a little slow. We need your help. So he turns to him and I think, I think maybe Jesus is having a little fun here. I'm just interpreting this a little bit, but he says this, he says, are you still so dull? <laughs> like, are you still so dumb? Like, are you not able to follow me? And they're like, no, we're following. So he gathers the 12, again, interpreting, but he, um, gathers the 12 and he says, I want to make sure you understand. I'm going to go really slow, okay? He says, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth 
goes into the stomach, and they're like, yeah, and then he says, and then out of the body, and they're like, yeah, it's Jesus, we get it, we know the whole, like, eating in the bathroom thing, but then he says, then he says, then he says, seriously, no, seriously, he says, but the thing that comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, comes from the heart, and that's what defiles them. It's these things that defile a person. The thing that puts a person at odds with God is not what they eat, but how their words affect people, and the people are who God loves. And this might be obvious for some of us now, but it was revolutionary for them. So Jesus says, okay, then this next thing, he said, I'm ready. Are you ready for this? He says, um, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, which action, is an action, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He says, from all of these, from your heart, all of these things are what defile a person. And it's because they hurt people, and God loves people, and they hurt you, and God loves you. And so he said, these are the things that defile a person. And that's what makes God upset. And so they go, wait, so mistreating other people puts us at odd with, odds with God, not breaking dietary laws and clean, cleanliness laws. And, and Jesus says, no, I need to make sure you know, eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's not about a set of rules, right? It's not a checklist. Now, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that really wanted you to live by this like checklist, this standard of laws, do's and don'ts. But Jesus came and just said, this is a reversal. This is about a heart. This is a heart issue. Our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. If what goes in is what and what comes out is that if that's what defiles us, our behavior will eventually show, uh, show mirror our hearts. Now, maybe you've already known this, or maybe um, you've seen this before, but do you know anybody who has uh, blown up a career because of something that's come out of their mouth? Or burned down a marriage with their tongue? Or anybody who's alienated their kids because of how they parented in their house? Or has destroyed a marriage because of how they behaved outside of the home? And some of these people, in fact, are us. And we look back and we think, who was that? That wasn't me. That's not me. Where did that come from? And so... I want to wrap up this morning with um, uh, four emotions that I feel need to be addressed, that need to uh, ding our conscience, that when you think these thoughts or you feel these feelings, when your mind starts to go down this trail, it should bother you. It should light up your conscience and and help you kind of realize that you might have some work to do. Um, And if you don't deal with what's on the inside, eventually it will make its way to the outside. And not only do you hurt you, you hurt the people that you love. Sometimes the people you love the most, and the reality is that's offensive to God. Um, And it's not offensive to God because God is really sensitive and he gets his feelings hurt really easily. It's because God loves the people you hurt and God loves you. And when you love someone, you don't want them to be hurt by someone else. So these four emotions should tip you off. They are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And when you identify these showing up or bubbling up in your soul, there is uh, 
something in us that needs to be addressed. It's like um, we want to we do it before the behavior happens. We want to acknowledge the emotion first. That's the safety zone. We don't want to get it in the, into the danger zone. So let's start here with guilt. Guilt um, says, I owe you. Guilt is, it exists in us when I owe you. I owe you an apology. I owe you something because I took something from you. Um, and you don't know about it, or maybe you do know about it, and I'm just too proud to admit that I owe you something. Guilt says, I owe you, and it leads to walls and inauthenticity and, and um, dishonesty. It leads to secret keeping. It's that kind of like where you, you're with someone, and you're like, what's wrong? They say, nothing. You're like, no, what's wrong? Nothing. Oh, seriously, something's wrong. And, and you, you kind of do this whole song and dance back and forth. See, with John, his face just shows it. He can't ever get, it, get away with it. I'm like, what's wrong? Nothing. Mm-hmm, sure. But um, guilt uh, is it's just, um, but you're not guilty about anything, sweetie. No. You're perfect. Um, but guilt can build up walls, and it, it, um, it seeps into our words and makes our way into our relationships. But guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me because you hurt me. You uh, took something from me, and you either pay me back or I pay you back. Now, the problem with anger, and we know this, is that anger leaks out of us, right? And it's not stationary, it's mobile. Like it, it leaks into our other relationships. Another, another way of, of saying it is that anger is never isolated to the relation of origin. Or as my pastor in Florida used to say, what it's about is not what it's about. What it's about is not what it's about. In other words, you were hurt as a kid or, or someone picked on you in high school or, or middle school or you didn't like the way that person broke up with you or left you, and um, you carry it around. But it'll eat you up inside. You know it's true. And anger says, you owe me back, and until you pay me back, I'm going to hold this over you and over anyone else who reminds me of you. And as long as you're, and long after you're out of my life, I'm still going to hold other people hostage because of what you took from me. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. That's what John talked about last week. What is greed? Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That's right. Um, Greed is I owe me, and I know you're in need, and I know that these people need some things that are struggling, and the church needs something or asks for something, and I know we're raising money for this or that, but I have all of these things going on in my life, and I Hope no one actually discovers how much I have because then I might be embarrassed. But um, it's just like I can't, I can't give to that because I owe me. And it becomes a filter for all of our decisions. And you know what else happens with greed? And if we're not careful, because um, we like stuff and we like things, um, sometimes the people in our family and the people closest to us will feel like they have to compete for us against our stuff. See, this, this need to achieve, this need to consume, oftentimes will fuel promotions and jobs and multiple jobs and multiple things so that we continue to climb and accumulate more things to have more stuff at, at the expense oftentimes of our relationships and people in our lives. But greed is uh, dangerous. Greed says, I owe me. Jealousy says, life owes me. Somebody else got what I deserve. She got what I deserve. He got what I deserve. 
and now you don't like them. And it's almost impossible to be nice to them. You know what else happens with jealousy? And this is the ickiest, grossest thing that like, when rises up in me. And when I find myself secretly celebrating someone else's loss or failure. Is there anything worse than that? Is anything lower than that? Celebrating someone else's pain because of jealousy? And if that's in you and if that's in me, it should set off alarm bells and ding our conscience like crazy because eventually it will leak out. And when you feel it and when you see it, you've got to address it. Now, I'm going to give you some suggestions here in this third column, and I just want to say this really, really quick. If you are not yet a Christian, and then um, I just need to acknowledge that I have no right to tell you what to do, right? I mean, if you haven't signed on to this Jesus thing, I hope that you don't feel that I am up here telling you how you need to live your life. But for those of us who've signed on as Jesus followers, we've said this is what we're doing. This, the, all of this, it's not optional. This is... This is what Jesus has called us to. This kind of like basic, like 101, right? And it's hard. But I also want to say this. If you're not a Christian or you've fallen away and you want to maybe come back to, uh, to following a Jesus life, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes here um, is why following Jesus will make your life better. Why it will um, make you a better husband or a better wife or a better friend or just a better person in general. See, Jesus' invitation was follow me, follow me. It was an invitation, not a command. You get to choose. And he says, follow me. And I'm going to ask you to do things that don't necessarily make sense. They don't make sense emotionally. Socially sometimes, but at the end of the day, at the end of this decision to follow me, you will experience a freedom and a peace that perhaps you have never experienced before, and there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So there are four preventative heart exercises to keep us out of the ditch, to keep you from going outside of the rails, and um, they, are pre- they are precisely the opposite of how we want to respond. That's what makes it so great. So what do we do with our guilt? We confess. We confess. And not to God. I mean, God already knows. When you confess to God, he doesn't go, what? I had no idea. That's un- Let me write that down. That's crazy. I wasn't paying attention. But we know that's what we were raised to do. We confess, we confess to God, but really the confession that heals um, and the confession that deals with guilt has to do with confessing to somebody. And if, if not um, just somebody, to the somebody who you hurt or who you stole from. And it might damage your reputation. Let me just say this. Anyone who's actually gone and confessed a place where they've messed up, there might be a damage to your reputation, but that's minimal, right? That's temporary. That's, that's um, small. The longer you carry guilt, the longer it will eat you up inside, and it is eventually going to drive you to other behaviors where you're either going to have to confess it anyway or somebody's going to find out. And the damage can be much worse. 
Secrets suck the life out of you. They suck the life out of you. And, and God says, I don't want that. I want you to have life to the full. So let's just confess it, get it out there, swallow your pride, because the truth is your pride probably got you in, the, in there in the first place. So confess it. And if you are not ready to confess to the person who you have offended or hurt because that's just too scary, confess it to someone. Find someone. Someone you can trust. Because a lot of times, when we, once we confess it and we can hold it out, we can look at it, we can see it and go, oh, yeah, I can't hold this anymore. This is eating me up inside. But get it out there. So anger. Anger. We know often the... Uh, Response to this is forgiveness. And you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is identifying specifically what was taken from me. Deciding that you don't owe me anymore. And it's not enough to just say I had a terrible dad or I had a terrible mom or a terrible experience, but to actually look at what was taken from you. What was specifically taken from you? And then make the decision to say, you don't owe me anymore. I'm canceling the debt. And that's what forgiveness is. It's canceling the debt. It says, I feel, the, the, the response here, though, is like you feel like you're letting someone off. And we've experienced anyone who's forgiven someone knows that really the freedom is in our own souls when we forgive someone. Because there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, and we've talked about this. Forgiveness is what I do with God and I for the other person so that I can be relieved of that burden. Reconciliation is involving the other person, and sometimes there is things in our lives that we cannot reconcile with another person because they are not a safe person. And so I want to be very clear here. Um, this is not a flippant statement, oh, forgive people who have who've done really terrible things in your life. I'm saying you don't have to reconcile with some of those people. The forgiveness piece is so that you can be free from carrying that. And that's what God wants for you. So then what do we do about greed? With greed, we give. We give. You write a big old big-to-you check. And a big-to-you check is um, big-to-you. It might not be big-to-me, but it'd be big-to-you. And a big-to-me check might not seem like much to you, but it's, it's big-to-me. In comparison, it's really just about you. And you say, you know what, greed, you are not controlling me anymore. Um, I'm just going to write this big old check, and I'm going to send it off, and I'm going to have a party. Um, but you, you want to, like... Do something that helps you experience what it's like to do that. Now, if you want to get really serious, find something that's really precious to you, like an object, not a kid, not a, not a person, but find something like really precious to you and something that's like off limits and don't touch it and we put it in a glass case and like leave it alone and sell it and then give the proceeds away. And I did this. We did this. I had this beautiful china hutch and a matching table and chairs. And we um, were going through this whole Dave Ramsey experience. But really, uh, Dave Ramsey was after. It was really a Jesus experience. And um, trying to uh, release control of, of our, our finances and learn to be generous. But this was something that was really uh, 
uh, we were selling our stuff, and this was the thing I loved. I loved this matching Tommy Bahama set, which we totally bought on credit and didn't even own. But anyway, we sold it and gave the money to a single mom in our church. And um, it was one of the coolest experiences that we've ever been through. It's one of those that stick. So if you want to um, fight, combat greed, if greed's something that's stuck with you and you just can't let go of your stuff, find something and just test it because God tells us that you can't outgive him. Test me in this. Be generous and I will open the floodgates. He promises us and it's one of the most fun things you can do. I promise you. So, um, jealousy, we've said, is that um, life owes me. And if you want to deal with jealousy, you have to be willing to admit what the real problem is. And it might not be necessarily that life owes you. At the end of the day, if you're honest, maybe it's you believe that God owes you. This is an issue not between you and your sister-in-law or because this person married well or because she has something or he has something or whatever it is. It has to do with the fact that you think God owes you something and you didn't get it. Because the truth is, see, life happens, but God takes what happens and makes things happen. And when we receive what comes our way from his hands, we ask him to do whatever he pleases. And I've learned this, and I've watched this, and many of you have as well, where you've watched Christians suffer. Christians who've, who've um, gone through things with family or children or illness or just financial problems or things that just they didn't deserve and just life happens. And without explanation, and instead of becoming bitter or instead of spending the rest of their life comparing their bad fortune to everyone else, they just offer it to God. People I have some great respect for. And they're, they're, they, they, they don't compare. They say, hey, God, this is what happened. Now, what can you do with what happened? And the way that we, we uh, work through jealousy is that we celebrate We begin to celebrate what God has given you, and we begin to celebrate what God has given other people. We celebrate out loud. Hey, dear Frank, congratulations on that job promotion. You know, I was kind of hoping to get it, but I'm really genuinely happy for you. Signed, Mo. Someone else. Um, And you put that letter in the mail, and you send it out. You genuinely say, I'm happy for you. Jealousy, you will not live in my heart any longer. I am going to be genuinely happy. And the truth is, you might not feel it, right? And it doesn't matter if you feel it. You ever heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? Like, you're going to have to behave in a way past the things that, uh, that you're having a hard time with. Because eventually, it will become a part of who you are. Now, this morning, we might need to do a little bit of mirror work. So that's kind of where you look in the mirror and you start talking to these things. Like guilt, you are not going to live in my heart anymore. I am going to confess. Anger, you're not going to have a place in my heart anymore. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. In fact, I'm even going to write a list of all the things that were taken from me, and I'm going to put it in an envelope, and I'm going to decide they don't owe me anymore. 
because anger, you are not going to live in my heart anymore. And greed, I'm just going to write some big old checks. I'm going to be just crazy generous until I, until I can become a cheerful giver. Because see, that's the thing. Sometimes we think we have to be cheerful before we give. Right? We think, oh, but I don't feel like being cheerful. But that's not true. See, you give until you become cheerful. Because if you have to wait till you're cheerful, you're never going to give. Because the cheerfulness of giving is the response to what happens when God opens your hands and your heart and you realize, I am actually happier. I have more peace than I did without clinging and holding on to all of the things that I thought were mine. And then jealousy, you look in the mirror and you say, you know what? He, she, whoever they are, I'm going to celebrate them. I'm going to celebrate their success. You know, we, we have this saying in, in, the, in our culture. We say, how are you doing? And you know what our response is often? I'm fine. I'm good, you know. Um, but how are you doing has such a, an action word, like how are you doing, like activity-wise. And I've heard something recently that John and I have been trying to um, uh, kind of use as words, rather than how are you doing to really check in on someone, we say, how is your soul? Like, how is your heart? How is, how is that going? And so this morning, I want to ask you, how's your soul? How is your heart? Is everything okay in your heart? Because Probably some of you in this room today are having this imaginary conversation with some people. Thinking of all of the the things that you have gone unchecked, maybe. Because if there's something every time, um, it's even maybe hard to hear today, that just comes front and center and kind of churns inside of your gut. Are you clinging to anything you know that maybe you've hurt someone in the past or something you haven't celebrated because of someone's success? If so, it's dangerous, and we need to acknowledge it. Because if it's in there, at some point it'll be out here, and it will defile you, and it will disappoint God and other people. And so this morning, um, we're going to go into a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask the uh, music team to come up. But I want to do something with you, and, and we're gonna, I'm going to need both of your hands. And so if you would have your hands free for a minute, and we're going to go to God in prayer. But we're going to have a heart check and a soul check this morning. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to grip your hands, both hands, tightly. And as you hold on tightly, your hands tightly, I want you to think this morning of what it is that you are holding on to, that you are having a hard time letting go. And you're going to squeeze your fists together. And as we sit here this morning in the presence of God, we come to God and we say, God, uh, we know you're here. This thing I'm holding on to, God, I know that I need to give it to you. I know there are things going on that I have got to let go of. And so this morning, as you are here, 
um, I'm just going to ask you, and, and we'll give a moment of silence between each of these. And, and if you can, um, as a just a, within your heart and in your, in your soul, as you slowly open your hands to releasing control, to releasing the emotions of guilt. We ask God this morning that if there is something that has um, holed up inside of you that is uh, causing guilt, someone you have hurt that you need to confess to, that we can slowly release your hands and give that to God to give you the power and the courage to make that confession, to set up that time to meet, to write a letter, to do whatever it takes to get it off your chest, minimal damage. Or maybe it's anger. Maybe there's something inside of you that you just, you haven't let go of. Maybe it's something from your childhood or something from school. Maybe there is someone in this room that you have uh, been at odds with that you just haven't had the opportunity to let go and forgive. And so this morning you slowly release your hands and you sit, God, give me the words. Take them to lunch. Buy them a coffee. Write a card. But um, begin that process of forgiveness. And greed, if there's greed that's gripping in your heart, we, uh, you open those hands to release, to say, God, uh, I want to become a cheerful giver. I want to be generous. I want to live a life that is not focused on stuff, but that it's focused on people and lives. And so whatever that is, you slowly release your hands for that. And jealousy, if there's someone who's um, just, you feel has gotten what you deserve or that God hasn't come through, I just... Pray you're able to release control of that and give God the power to move in your life in powerful ways that you can celebrate the joys of other people knowing that God can work through all things. And then maybe, maybe there is someone in this room today who is just holding on to their own lives and has not yet given control to you, Jesus. This morning we know that if that is you in this room today, if you are not, have not been ready to give your life to Jesus, you can do that today. And you can open your hands and you can say, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give it all to you. Be Lord of my life. Be center of it all. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this space. We just thank you for your love that you so lavishly and generously pour on us. That even while we are still sinners, you love us unconditionally, without rules. And God, as we are um, open to receiving your love and grace in our lives, I pray that you continue to mold us and shape us into the kids that you are making us into, God. And as we move this morning into um, our time of, of, of music and offering, God, we recognize the fact that all we have is yours. Everything is you have given to us. Lord, we um, ask that you use these offerings that we are going to give to you, that you are um, to show up in mighty ways in our lives. And uh, thank you for this church and what you're doing in this space. We love you and we honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.